0: What is up, Aspire Leaders? I hope you are able to sit back, relax, drink a warm cup of Papa Rob's coffee, and soak up all the wonderful information from our awesome guest, Henry Turner. But before we begin, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by Toddle. Toddle is an all-in-one teaching and learning platform used by over 40,000 educators around the world. If you want to learn more about this wonderful application, you can head over to toddleapp.com and on that website you can see the many features offered in this wonderful platform, hear from other educators on how it has transformed their campus, and dig into the many case studies provided on how all of these educators have streamlined their teaching and learning needs with the Toddle application. Today's guest is Henry Turner, a fantastic principal an author, and a national speaker as he shares his experience as an innovative instructional leader, passionate advocate, and committed educator with organizational leadership. Make sure you stay with us as we talk not only about his book, Changing the Narrative, how to foster an anti-racist culture, but also about how he improves student voice every single day on his campus. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire to Lead, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua underscore Stamper. Henry, thank you so much for joining me on the Aspire to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here with you. Henry, I got a chance to meet you in person at FETC, and it was such a joy to Get to know you a little bit more and hear a little bit about your story, but I would love for my listeners to hear about your educational and leadership journey.
1: Yeah, it was great to see you too, Josh. It's always great to see the educator that I really look up to you know, virtually and they really get to meet you in person. Leadership has been a real passion of mine as an educator. As a young person, I was put into a lot of different leadership roles, whether as class officer or captain of of my high school swim team. But, you know, I I think one of the moments that really hit me was my first year in college on my swim team. I was, you know, had 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 a really good season. You know, I was starting to feel pretty burned out in our spring season. And I asked the coach, can I take the day off? And he said, you of all people, you're like a person that is a great leader of this team. And I was, you know, I was 18 years old. I had never thought of me. In that role, and so it was that conversation left an impression on me. Additionally, I've always been a person that's really passionate about doing right for people, standing up for those who you know have feel feel marginalized, and so I've been put. I've sort of led, I think, by example in that in that realm. And so, as a first year teacher, you know, I really got involved in you know working with kids and standing up for kids who you know didn't feel like their voices were were there. And I think that gave me some opportunities when when a principal, uh, my principal said to me, you know, we'd like you to be in charge of our mission statement committee for our 10-year review. And that was the first time I led a committee and I was probably 25 years old at that point. And I got the bug, you know, I got the leadership bug there, got involved in a leadership education leadership program. And that's when I realized that like, all of the work I've been doing and the leadership roles I had—that I—that I really had a passion for it, as much as I had for, for teaching and for the content I was teaching history. I had a passion for for leadership, and so, you know, I've pursued that passion for for a while, both you know, professionally as a assistant principal and a principal, but also my doctorates on you know on leadership, and um, it's really just been a, a passion for mine. And now I feel really honored that I get to mentor a lot of aspiring leaders and talk about the, the messiness and the fun and the, and, and sort of the skills of, of leadership.
0: Well, I want to talk about some of the passions that you have, and one of them really comes out in your book, Change the Narrative, How to Foster an Anti-Racist Culture in Your School, and absolutely love the text, the resource. Will you just share a little bit about the book and, and why you wrote this? Sure. So I've been an educator that's been passionate about social justice and
1: standing up for traditionally marginalized um, groups, and specifically I've worked in majority white communities and, um, and we've seen students of color who have felt like their voices aren't heard, but, but also um, from an academic standpoint may have been, uh, we've seen a disparity in terms of academic performance. I've have learned a lot over the past 20 years as, as an educator and then particularly as a principal, uh, I've been in, in the school that I'm at in uh, Massachusetts for seven years We started to have some hate incidents in the first beginning of my my tenure. There, in response, I learned to work with our students and to support our student, our student voice, to be able to stand up to to hate incidents. And how to empower teachers um, and educators to to understand the importance of our relationship building, the importance of culturally responsive practices. And how we can really we can really tie in a lot of the instructional practice that we know that work for kids when we focus on getting to know who they are and making sure that they feel seen in our school. So I felt really comf- confident in some some of the work that we had been doing going into 2020 when we saw the murders of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and, and others. And you know there are a lot of educators who are looking at their own bias at their own. Role in systemic racism at that time, and I had been doing a lot of writing, and you know, I felt like it was it was time to to write a book. And and fortunately, was able to partner with uh, Dave and Shelley Burgess and uh, with my co-author Kathy Lopes to write a book that's for school leaders on how to create a culture um, that is committed to standing up for all kids. And I think there's a lot of great books that are out there for how to do your own work uh, from a diversity, equity, inclusion standpoint. This book is really about leadership: how to empower leaders and give leadership, leaders the tools to help others to build those skills. And so, you know, when I first started in my school, 50% um, of our Black students were on an IEP. Um, and, you know, there was a clear overrepresentation of Black students on IEPs um, in special education. And, you know, there were people in our school who thought we were doing the right thing. They thought we were um, supporting kids because they were struggling, not recognizing that we were labeling kids disabled when they were not disabled and that there's you know, racial bias in, in that practice. How do we address what the problem is and then what are the strategies we can do to, to dismantle the systemic racism and create an environment where you know, we can support students when they struggle and um, we can do it in a way where students feel good about themselves and are not labeled. I would say there's nothing wrong with being disabled, but there's something wrong with calling someone disabled when they're not.
0: Oh, for sure. One hundred percent. And that was something that on our campus, we started to look through, you know, all of our groups as far as representation, not only in social education, but then also in our gifted programs, too, and seeing that there were, you know, some disparity in in those percentages also. And so I'm just thinking through, you know, for our leaders, if they're listening to you as far as diversity, equity, inclusion, anti-racist, like what can they start with on their campus to kind of help through making sure that everyone is represented?
1: For anyone, you want to do your own work first, right? You want to um, understand what is your role you know? Do you, what, in your understanding of race and racism and your role as, as an educator. As educators, whether you're a teacher leader, whether you're an administrator, we can move the needle a lot by just modeling our work, right? Like, how do we create a classroom where every student feels like their voice is heard, where every student feels like they're that each that they, we're all standing up for each other? Um, and it's a, an environment where we can have difficult conversations, but we're listening to each other. That in itself can model great behavior for or great practice for other educators. I always talk about you know, strategic thinking as leaders. We want to think about like how do we identify what are some uh, what's a topic that you want to focus on? Whether it's uh, your personal work, whether it's h- how do you interact with your colleagues uh, in a diverse school environment. How do we raise up student voice? How do we work with families? What does our curriculum instruction look like? You know, identifying what is that topic and then taking a systematic approach, starting with like, what are our values in this area? How do we then going into, how do we create some systems and structures that allow for our values to exist? And then how do we then take on the the unchangeable? You know, as educators, sometimes we want to take on the most difficult topic. You know, we want to overhaul our grading practices and we fall flat. We need to take a more systematic approach of what are our values, what are some structures that we can create that allow for our values to exist, and then take on some of the more challenging aspects in that that area.
0: This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. So you talked about culturally responsive practices in the classroom. As a leader, what were some ways that you were able to evaluate where you were to make sure that you were making the right changes?
1: I mean, I think as an educator, I think that, you know, we want to get to know who our students are first. And, And so then understanding, you know, their cultural background. One of the easiest things that we did, and I always say to schools, that schools where they're getting a lot of resistance around any um, diversity, equity, inclusion change, the easiest thing we ever did was that we allowed for students to write their name phonetically in our student information system. And then in our student um, learning system, students record their name so that teachers can can hear it. And teachers feel really good because on day one, they can pronounce the kid's name accurately. Kids feel seen. There's no one that is going to a school committee meeting protesting that we are giving kids the permission to spell their name phonetically. I think like in terms of culture responsive practices, the most important thing we can do is learn who the kids are, learn about their culture, and then how do we help their culture to be, to be incorporated into our, our classroom? So if it's a math class, how are we helping them to see who role models are, who look like them, who are part, you know, who come from the same culture of these students? How do we take on word problems, problem sets that are about areas in the community uh, for these students? If you live in an environment where uh, nobody has a pool, why are we asking kids to, you know, geometric questions about pools, right? Like we have to help students to be able to feel like they're connected, that they are relevant in the classroom that that they're in. In an English or history class, certainly it's a little bit easier to be able to like make sure that the books that we're reading have protagonists that are multi-dimensional right that look like them that have that come from, from from their culture and to be able to have conversations about culture within within the classroom so I think those are those are certainly some of the you know more basic steps to the more advanced steps to, to culture responsive practices
0: you would talk about empowering students and I love this idea so much and obviously they want to have a voice in all aspects of the school so I'm curious, over the last seven years as the principal of your campus, what are some ways that you are making sure they, they have a voice?
1: So second week of school um, in 2016, a group of students drove around our uh, main driveway waving the Confederate flag. Another student caught it on videotape and posted it on Facebook. So that's how long ago this was, that Facebook was uh, still very popular among teenagers. So it went viral. Instantly, students wanted to protest. Uh, students wanted to walk out there had been some previous racist incidents that had occurred in the in the school in the years past and i didn't have you know I was, this was my second week on the sc- on school as principal i didn't have the relationship with the students you know long story short i found myself a few days later on a google chat negotiating the terms to a student protest with, a, with eight 17 year olds and what i learned through that was if we can create trust with our students that they're going to stand they're going to step up and really feel valued and they're going to do the right thing. What happened in that, um, you know, with that protest is that there were maybe like 500 students and in in, in adults in our cafeteria. Um, there were student speakers. And what we ended up creating through that uh, event was a guide for ourselves on how to allow for student protest. Uh, whatever the topic is now, if students want to get their voice out, we now have a template for how to do it in a safe way where students can can get a microphone they can speak they can voice even if it's you know a criticism of the administration of what we're doing because we are you know we are the power to, to them in their environment that um, they have an opportunity to express themselves in a safe in a safe way but we also have we learned from from incidents that we've that we've had where students have not been happy with um, with our actions as a school so for example when we had a uh, a couple of years later, we had some racist comments that students had made on social media. We felt that we had really addressed the situation very well as an administration. We had, we had investigated it. We were able to respond. We were able to identify who did it. We, did, we thought that we did all the right things. we you supported know, the students who were most impacted by it. When we met with our, our Black Leadership Advisory Council, which is our Black Student Union, they said, we didn't think you did a good job. And we said, what do you mean? We, we, we did all these different things. And they said, well, yeah, you checked off the boxes, but you weren't angry. We weren't angry about it. And, you know, as administrators, we're taught to take a neutral position when we're investigating something. And here we learned that, you know, we this is what had happened with something against our school values. And we didn't say that we were angry and upset about it. And that was powerful learning from our students. As a result of that conversation, we created a human rights council where it's um, students from all different groups uh, that meet with us. Now it's, it's become more minimal, but whenever we do have a hate incident or some sort of incident in our school, we bring it to this group, we explain to them what happened, and they ask us questions about it. They check to make sure that we did the right thing. Whether it's a protest, whether they're participating in some educational aspect, or whether they're checking us as administrators or educators, or helping us create policy, we're giving students the voice to help create a change in their school.
0: That's so powerful. I want to talk about the community aspect also because you've mentioned a couple times, and I think it's so important. Even when you were talking about the protests, you know, community members coming and potentially participating in that. So, I'm just wondering, as you are working through the culturally responsive practices and the anti-racist leadership, you know, how are you bringing the community in on that initiative?
1: Sure. So, so I think that our our, our community is multifaceted, right? So, we want to make sure that. Um, our students and our staff who are part of our school community feel um, that they are part of, of the change. We think that we want to make sure that our parents are as well and recognizing that we're, you know, giving voice to all parents. And we're also making sure that parents who feel, and family members who feel marginalized, feel like they're connected and that we're finding ways to reach out to them. Um, so one, you know, we've used some great uh, software technology to, um, you know, to help us to be able to communicate in our live streaming videos so that families can get interpretive services through through that software. Um, recognizing that different communities, some communities may not read email, actually. I that a lot of people aren't reading email these days, but what are some different ways in which we're gonna to communicate to communities so that they're hearing and staying connected in our school? With our extended community, you know, we're bringing them in, them in by showing the great work that our students are doing. Our cultural days, for example, are a great opportunity for our students to engage in to talk about their culture and to bring in panelists and guests. Um, so, our Black Culture Day, our Jewish Culture Day, our, um, you know, we have one from our our our, our, um, uh, our GSA um, Asian Culture Day. Like all these different days are are ways for students to express themselves and bring in panelists around their. Uh, the cultural topic. We now use our TV production um, uh, program to record and live stream those videos. So now they go up on YouTube, our community gets to see them. You know, what we've heard had our mayor reference these videos before. And so that's, you know, a great opportunity to um, show the great work that our school is doing, but more importantly, show the great work that our students are doing. These cultural days are completely student run. TV production is a career tech program that's student run, um, and and we're get, getting it out to the community. So um, I think that's some of the powerful ways which we're bringing the community in.
0: We're going to pause for a moment to talk about one of my favorite sponsors, Papa Rob's Coffee. No surprise, I'm currently drinking my second cup of the Papa Rob's Special Blend. Rob has a wonderful variety of medium and dark blends available at PapaRob'sCoffee.com. Definitely check out each and every one of his blends. However, I have a subscription. I actually have coffee delivered to my door. It's fantastic. It's fresh. And then, of course, don't forget that as an Aspire to Lead listener, you get a free code here. Aspire15 gets you 15% off your entire order. Head over to PapaRob'sCoffee.com. I know you're going to enjoy every last drop of this phenomenal blend. It's fresh and comes right to your door. So make sure you go over to the website, Aspire15, and grab that 15% off. And now back to our wonderful guest and interview. All right, so your book, Change the Narrative, How to Foster an Anti-Racist Culture in Your School, you not only have the book, but you also have an additional resource, which is the online course. So for those who are looking to have a supplemental piece to go with the book, how can they access that and what's that all about?
1: Yeah. So people uh, can go to our, go to my website, HenryJTurner.com, um, and um, they can click on the course right on the homepage and check it out. I hope people do. It's really a, a, a compliment to the book. It goes in depth for educators on some of the different aspects of the school of, of anti-racist leadership. And I would say that we help educators to develop a curriculum or to develop workshops, um, to develop trainings for their staff. Um, strategies on how to respond to a hate incident, how to um, how to make sure that uh, colleagues are standing up for each other. Um, so those are, you know, it's a four-part series. It's got, got a lot of great response. You ha- get it for the rest of your life. So it's something you can constantly go back to. And I think it's a great compliment to the book and it allows for educators to go even deeper
0: into, uh, into racist leadership. It's wonderful. So make sure you go to henryjturner.com. Grab that wonderful additional resource for this book, and I wanna talk real quick about some advice that you might have for our aspiring or current leaders. So for anyone that's thinking about potentially going to leadership, or maybe they don't even have a a title to their name in regards to leadership, what would you advise them to do tomorrow or next week to enhance your leadership journey?
1: So the story that I give uh, uh, a lot of people who I, I mentor is the story um, that I had heard about a principal who on their first day, walked into the building with their partner. The partner was a structural engineer and said to the principal, all of these vines that are crawling up your uh, school are gonna destroy the structural integrity of the school. And so you should cut them down. The very first action that the principal did is that they went to the head custodian and said, please cut down all these vines. So that was around like eight o'clock in the morning on their first day. By eleven, the superintendent calls and says, "I heard that you had cut to, you'd cut down uh, the vines in the school." And the principal said, "Yes, um, you know the structural integrity." My partner had said that it was going to ruin the building, and I thought it made sense. The superintendent responded, "Over the last twenty five years, every graduating fifth grade class has been planting a seed of one of those vines," and I'm getting been getting phone calls from parents and former students left and right about the symbolism of these vines and how they've just been destroyed. And it's just a great anecdote that we need to walk slowly. And so I always say to new leaders, don't cut down the vines. To listen, to get to know who the community are, and that even sometimes some of our smallest um, actions can lead to big problems. And so walk slowly, get to know who people are, get to know the community, and uh, then you can start making some of the more challenging decisions.
0: Yeah, I had the superintendent always say never knock down a fence unless you know why it was built in the first place. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So he he shared a very funny story about a very large dog that was on the other side of the fence that he took down, and similar to the vines, right? Don't cut down the vines and don't knock down that fence. (laughs) Don't knock down the fence. I like it. (laughs) Well, Henry, how can our listeners connect with you because you're doing so much phenomenal work. And I want everyone to be able to connect with you on social media, on your website. So how can they do that?
1: Cool. So uh, people can find me on Twitter at, at Turner HJ, uh, Instagram or at Turner underscore HJ and uh, HenryJTurner.com. You can get access to everything uh, that I do. I do a new uh, bi-weekly newsletter. You can sign up there. And it is a lot of uh, the work that we're doing and that we talk about in the book, but also other aspects. I, we have a lot of we have from. Teachers to social workers to organizational leaders to CEOs on the, uh, you know, subscribing to the newsletter. So we really try to cover a lot of aspects around social justice leadership.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I am subscribed to it, it's phenomenal. So anyone that's listening, please make sure that jump on the website, HenryJTurner.com, and subscribe right away. You will not be disappointed by any means. And then make sure you jump on the show notes and click on those links to connect with Henry as soon as possible. Henry, it was such a pleasure to meet you in person. I literally had goosebumps. I turned to my left and you were sitting down. <laughs> I was so surprised to see you. It was such a, a joy to hang out with you at FETC. And like I said, your book is phenomenal. You're doing so many great things in education. And I just am so fortunate to interview you here on Aspire to Lead. Well, thanks so much, man. I, I
1: hope you saw my
0: response as well when my
1: eyes opened up to see you. So thank you for amplifying all these educator voices and, and doing what you do. Really appreciate it.